Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So this ought to be fun. We got a, a message from Kyle, who actually lives in Thailand. So cool. Which is on our list of places we want to go and uh, spend an extended period of time. We hear it's beautiful. Uh, Kyle says, what is something about the other person that you have never shared with anyone before? Um, this is fun. One time Kat ruined our coffee grinder by putting cheese in it. I thought I could make like like parmesan yeah like yeah i thought i could make like a shredded cheese in that way but i it didn't it just broke the grinder yeah we had to throw it away yeah and our coffee tasted like feet for a long time isn't accurate we never used it after the cheese incident (laughs) which still is brought up to this day as the cheese incident but this is the first time i've brought it up publicly i can't think of anything that i haven't told everyone about (laughs) Uh, regarding you, it really? just seems like something that I would do is just share it immediately. Share it immediately, yeah. usually I on did, TikTok. <laughs> I did TikTok the other day about how you had um, you didn't do something that I'd asked you to do. And you were like, I'm really sorry. I can do it for you now. And I was like, no, don't worry about it. Just try to like try to pay attention to stuff. <laughs> and so you wrote pay attention to stuff on the whiteboard yeah. so that you wouldn't forget yeah, because to pay attention to stuff. The problem is, though, I, I keep forgetting to check the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's just like I will put a bag of trash at the top of the stairs for you to take down. Uh, when you're leaving and you will move the trash out of your way (laughs) to leave. Boy, quickly we've gone from I don't have anything to share to several items. Well, I know I've already shared those things. Okay, fair enough. Nothing new. Okay. (laughs) Well, to quickly change the subject, um, I have something for you here in the form of a story this Uh, time. Okay. Um, It was a very brisk gray day in November of 2015 in New York City. The Department of Design and Construction for the city dispatched a crew to dig out a century-old water main near Washington Square Park. It's amazing how many old 
subterranean water mains and even subway tunnels in right. New York that are over 100 years old, but are still there and nobody uses them. Uh, it was about midday when they broke into a hollow space that they were not expecting to be there. They very quickly recognized that uh, they had stumbled upon not one, but two burial vaults. Inside, they found an estimated 30 bodies. They quickly notified the city authorities who determined that the vaults belonged to a couple of different churches from the 1700s. Now, these churches apparently shared a common graveyard burial ground, and it butted up against the city's potter's field. So there were a lot of bodies buried there in those days. But no one thought to, like, take note of that? Well, no. The thing is, they knew they were there. Oh, okay. They, they, they had a pretty good idea. They, okay. were, they were unable to uh, enter the tombs, so they hired a company called Chrysalis Archaeological Consultants who used cameras to try to read the nameplates on the 20 coffins that were accessible. But along with those coffins, there were just piles of skulls and, and skeletal remains simply piled up in the corner of the crypts. Piles of skulls, sure. Yeah. Um, now, they, they weren't shocked by this because they knew the history of the land where Washington Square Park is currently, um, well, like it moves around, um, <laughs> is currently located. Um, see, I was confused because the way that you presented this to me was like, oh, what's all this with the skulls and the piles of skulls? Yeah, I was just trying to hook you into the story. Oh, okay, I got it. They knew what was going on. Well, they, they had a pretty good idea that there was a, a chance they were going to run into some bodies. Okay, I got it. Now, as shocking as this discovery might seem to you mm -hmm. and to me, it wasn't entirely unexpected. This was the not the first time that bodies and human remains have been unearthed in Washington Square in flippin' Manhattan. Oh, my. The history of the graveyard and the cemetery, the Potter's Field, that dates back to 1797. New York State purchased many acres of farmland. That was farmland at the time for, for this purpose. If you were poor and you lived in New York, chances are when you died, you ended up here. Uh, if you were unidentified and you died in New York, you ended up here. If you were a slave, you were buried there. And these graves were not really very deep. They were pretty shallow graves. Okay. And the cemetery quickly became... Poorly cared for and run down, it was pretty shabby. Right, because they were poor and black, so who cares, right, right? right? yeah. Yeah, that's terrible. The reason that Washington Square is located where there was once a cemetery... Um, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, it was a cemetery for nearly uh, 30 years, and uh, yellow fever was sweeping through New York oh. in 1797, uh, 1798, 1801, and 1803. And the city quickly became overrun with corpses. <sighs> and this single event was responsible for taking Potter's Field's population from full to well over capacity. Many bodies were just thrown into the vault. They weren't even... Hence the piles. The piles, yeah. And many graves had m much more than one occupant in them. Some graves like I had mentioned, were only three feet deep. And they'd been hastily dug to bury these corpses because you can't leave plague victims lying around. Right. In addition to it being a potter's field, it also doubled as the public gallows, located right in the center of where 
the fountain stands today oh. in Washington Square. If you go to Washington Square Park and you sit by the fountain, yeah, they killed a bunch of people there a couple hundred years ago. I never considered that. I always thought of <laughs> New York as being, I don't know, outside of that realm of gallowsing. Yeah, no, no, they were they were gallowsish. I guess that makes sense. In those days. In fact, one of the oldest trees in New York City is a giant elm in Washington Square Park. This elm is rumored to have been a hangman's tree in the early days. Oh, no. Today known as the hangman's elm, it's still uh, thriving in the northwestern corner of the park. They do think it's probably one of the very oldest trees in New York City. It's rumored that hundreds may have lost their lives dangling from the branches of the hangman's elm. Um, it was a particularly busy time for hangings because, uh, you know, the Revolutionary War, many lives of inmates and uh, treasonous traitors. Treasonous traitors? Ended there. Historians estimate a minimum of 20,000 corpses were put to rest beneath the ground of what is now Washington Square Park. Wow. So to answer your question, how did the Potter's Field and two church graveyards and a hangman's gallow become a place where people go and picnic. Not that I'm against a cemetery picnic. No, we're all for that, actually. <laughs> In 1826, a guy named Philip Horn was elected mayor of New York City. He immediately began the process of turning the cemetery and the Potter's Field into a public park space. The idea was it would increase property values sure in the yeah. area yeah i like a nice fountain over piles of corpses yeah yeah so it was economically driven not a surprise right? no no at the time the major property that was nearby was new york university <clears throat> and new york university at that time was greatly in debt but as soon as the park opened New York universities went from being in debt to seeing a 240% increase in value over five years. Wow. It's estimated that uh, two-thirds of Washington Square Park today cover shallow graves of an estimated 20,000 people still under the pavement. So, wow. They, uh, they didn't bother to relocate these remains. No, no. No, they just built the park over it. Consequently, these unexpected exhumations have taken place, and it dates way back. In fact, the very first recorded incident of this was right after the park opened. Again, most of the graves were pretty shallow, maybe three feet deep. Right. On the parade grounds, the day they opened the park, no, they had a military parade. Smithsonian Magazine reports in an article that during the military parade, they fired cannons, and okay. the cannons uh, hit the ground and overturned some boulders and revealed, quote, yellow shrouds covering the remains of people who died during yellow fever. Eek. And these unplanned exhumations continued from oh, there. Oh, man. Fairly regularly, right up until modern times. In 2008, the city announced plans for improvements to Washington Square Park. Of course, city officials at this point were well aware that there were still bodies in the ground. Is there like a Washington Square Park corpse liaison, like whose job it is to make sure they deal with the Washington Square Park dead? That'd be a cool job. <laughs> I don't know exactly what department would handle that, but yes, there's some division in the... Parks and Rec, obviously. Parks and Rec, yep. 
Get Leslie Nope on it. So as I said, the city officials were well aware that there were still bodies in the ground there, not just a few, like tens of thousands. Uh, they were also aware that many of them were very shallow. So they were very careful in drawing up plans on how they would uh, dig in this area. They uh, forbid anybody to dig deeper than three feet. Just, <laughs> like, we know they're there. Just don't, don't go digging around. The solution is... Stop it. <laughs> However, even though they didn't dig below three feet, they still found many graves that were less than three feet deep. Oh, the, yeah. the remains were estimated to belong to at least eight different people. That's not a grave. That is just land erosion. Yeah, right. That's just <laughs> like eventually the wind blew enough mm -hmm. and it covered them up. Yep. They were buried in a location during its time as Potter's Field. Officials took great care to assure residents uh, that they would be reburied in the park. They, they would be reburied in the park? Yeah, they were going to put them back in the ground and, you know, not... That's what they do. Oh. They don't... At this point, they're not moving them. They're just reburying them in the park. That seems problematic. <laughs> they did change their plans, however, on how they were going to proceed with this, uh, with this construction project. And uh, they were able to avoid disturbing further graves during during this particular project. So if you're going to Washington Square Park and you're going to have like a picnic or something, just don't go near like the loose ground. Right. Don't go near the irrigation canals. You never know what might pop up. But it wasn't long until there was another incident. On the morning of October 23rd, 2009, city workers were updating parts of Washington Square Park uh, and unearthed an entire tombstone from 1799. There's a really cool picture of it. It's about three feet tall. It's made out of sandstone. Uh, the inscription is still clear. You can clearly read what it says. It says, quote, Here lies the body of James Jackson, who departed this life the 22nd day of September 1799, aged 28 years, native of County Kildare, Ireland. Uh, well, at least there was a tombstone. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, so many of them just were just tossed. Just hocked in. So that indicates to me that probably James was in the church section. Right. Not the Potter's Field uh, section. So they looked through the New York census records and they determined that, uh, that there was a James Jackson, that he lived in New York. He was listed as a night watchman and or grocer. And archaeological experts believe that he probably was the victim of yellow fever. Oh, I wonder if he was married. It's hard to say because they never put, like in his case, James Jackson, husband of. Mm. You know. Oh, I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. <laughs> Little known fact, women weren't allowed to have first names. Um, <laughs> so... The New York Department of Parks and Rec has placed historical signs in Washington Square Park, and they've been there since the uh, the same well the same year that they found those vaults. Like warnings about corpses? No, you would think that there would be something about that, but the signs talk about the land's history as a potter's field. Doesn't really say anywhere on the sign that you're walking on dead people, <laughs> bodies of twenty thousand people. The sign says, "quote." This land was once a marsh fed by a local brook located near an Indian village known as Sapaconacan. In 1797, the city's common council acquired the land for use as a potter's field and for public executions, giving rise to the legend of the hangman's elm in the park's northwest corner. Used first, 
As the Washington Military Parade Ground in 1826, the site became a public park in 1827. Following the design, prominent families wanting to escape the disease and congestion of downtown Manhattan moved to the area and built the distinguished Greek Revival mansions that still line the square's north side. No mention that there's, you know, 20,000 corpses underneath your feet. So interesting how that piece of land changed its identity over the years mm. and, and is now like, we're a really nice place to come. <laughs> Honestly, you'll like it. So if you're ever visiting New York City or if you live there and you decide to spend an afternoon in Washington Park, keep in mind that uh, you're very possibly walking on the heads of your ancestors. Unless you're not from there. In which case, it would just be some randos. And in that case, it's fine. Yeah, right. Yeah. And now, that thing in the middle. The Mycosuperus smithi ant can clone itself. At one point in their evolution, one female ant learned how to duplicate herself. All of the male ants were immediately kicked out of the colony, and they eventually died out. The all-female colony is now self-sustaining. As summer approaches, it's important to remember, always wear sunscreen, stay hydrated, and keep this device in your bag at all times. This is where I'd normally insert a joke, but my 10-minute break just started, so write one yourself. This is The Box of Oddities. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. 
Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Join the Freak Show live stream event, April 17th. All the cool freaks will be there. Just go to theboxofoddities.com and click on Live Shows. See you there, you sweet little freak, you. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got this unsigned message uh, on Facebook from uh, somebody regarding Box 314. Hello, I'm from Norway, and we used to celebrate Children's Day every year. I had mentioned that, uh, you know, we celebrate Mother's Day, Father's Day, and why don't we have a children's day? Every day is Children's Day. (laughs) He said, we celebrated it every year, and it was a big thing. We did weird things like singing songs about other children's skin color and baked foreign types of food like, I don't know, Mexican casserole and garlic bread. I love that. It was the 1980s. It was weird times. And Norway was both bland and innocent. I don't have kids and had no idea if anyone else still does this, but apparently they do. And it's actually a UN celebration. Aww. You're cool, by the way. Kind regards from Oslo, Norway, home of the dramatic butter crisis of 2011. Oh my goodness. Oslo, I cannot wait to visit you. I cannot wait to visit you. Thanks, Oslo freak. We have Norwegian freaks. That's crazy. It is. I love it. Would you by any chance happen to have a story for me? I do. Because I would greatly enjoy that, madam. Let's talk about snails, baby. Let's talk about snails. Let's talk about snails. Let's talk about... I'm, what, what I'm getting from you is we're going to talk about snails. Snails. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> what? Okay. I listen. I care about you. Yeah. You yeah. know, I have your best interest in mind most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. Um. I I would say like 98. You know, sometimes I comedy that's, trumps that's, it, but yeah. There's listen. Uh, I don't want to blow your mind, but I'm about to. So mm, okay. Okay. Just my um, mind is already blown by this buildup. Prepare your pork tank. <laughs> okay. Okay. What's the strongest known biological material on Earth? Would you say like titanium? I would no. Like... I would say those eye boogers that uh, that banjo has. Mm. They have an amazing adhesive property. No. So there's an aquatic snail, and they have teeth that are the strongest known biological material on Earth, stronger than titanium. Snail teeth. Snail teeth. Snail teeth. And some snail species can have over twenty thousand teeth. Oh, that's crazy. And they're on their tongue. Oh no. Oh. It's amazing. Oh, no, they're no. so cool. Oh. All right. This is borderline triggering my tripophobia. Okay, well, we're not going to keep talking about the teeth on the yeah, tongue, no, the I rows and rows and rows I of teeth on the tongue. I can't stop thinking about it, though. Okay, well, it's not. We're done. Slugs and snails are mollusks, which puts them in the same category as, like, oysters and clams and mussels. And gastropods, which is the class that snails and slugs live in, are the largest group of mollusks, um, comprising more than 80% of living mollusk species. There may be as many as 150,000 species of gastropods. What? And they can live in almost all habitats. You said 150,000? Yeah. Yeah. So they're one of the most diverse groups of animals in terms of form, habitat, and behaviors. So let's get into it. All right. Let's get into it. Snails. 
Kat gets very excited about mollusks. First, I want to talk about the amazing diversity of snails. So let's start with sea butterflies. They are a suborder of snails, and they don't crawl along the forest floor. They have evolved these uh, flappy lobes on either side of their body that allow them to swim around in the top 80-ish feet of the Arctic and Southern Oceans. I've developed flappy lobes on both of my sides of the body, but I it doesn't help me swim. <laughs> so these uh, sea butterflies use their wing-like parapodia to fly, quote-unquote, through the water. And at times they just kind of float along, uh, bobbing along, singing their song. Mm -hmm. um, and they're mostly passive plankton feeders, but at times they can be active feeders. That's a great insult. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to remember that next time somebody argues with me about something, I'm going to call them a passive plankton eater. <laughs> Zip it. Passive plankton eater. <laughs> they uh... What are you some kind of passive plankton eater? They also have the ability to create a mucus web that can entangle planktonic food. Many times, the, the plankton that they will capture is much larger than themselves. But, hey, they're captured. So what are you going to do? That snail's going to eat you. Wow. Yeah. So there's these cute little sea butterflies, these little flappy snails that live in the water. And they... Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's the giant African snails, and they are the largest known gastropods. The largest recorded specimen of the giant African snail measured 15.5 inches from snout to tail. Holy shit. This is like the size of a basketball. Yeah. And he had a shell length of 10.75 inches. And this was in December of 1978. He was actually a pet. And mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense because he's obviously well fed. Really big snails when we went ziplining in uh, Puerto Rico. Yes, they were beautiful. They were probably the size of a like a baseball or a softball. Yeah, they were a sturdy fist. They were huge. Yeah, and that's you, we were waiting for our group to get done ziplining, and I just ran around looking at snails <laughs> and going, look at this one! Again, Kat loves a, a giant mollusk. I do. Actually, mollusks of all sizes. Of all sizes. It does not matter. And I was really interested to find that slugs and snails, well, they're the same. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, snails have shells. That's okay, it. that's the difference. That's yeah. it. And some slugs have internal shells. So really, I mean, what do you, there's no difference. That grosses me out, too. What? I don't know why, because really, we have internal shells. Yes. But the eye, I don't know, don't... I think it was the tongue and the teeth thing. It got me really uh, you're, triggered. You're a little yeah. raw right I'm, now? I, I am. Okay. Yeah. I'm feeling a little vulnerable. Need a hug. Okay. That's nice. Yeah. I feel better. Let's talk about mucus. Okay. Now you're talking. So the violet sea snail is also known as the bubble raft snail. And you might say, well, that's a weird name for a snail until you know that it makes a raft out of bubbles. <laughs> well, then it's a very logical name. That's right. So it collects uh, bubbles, like pulls water in through its foot, and then it makes bubbles and it mixes it with mucus. And then it uses this bubbly concoction to travel long distances in the ocean. Floating is their only means of transportation. They can't swim, so they just kind of like <laughs> themselves a raft, and they're on their way. <laughs> wow. 
They can be found in warm, tropical, and temperate waters worldwide, but uh, very high concentrations of them occur in subtropical Atlantic, Indian, and Pacific Oceans. So they extrude this purple mucus from their foot that quickly hardens on the water, and they they just like kind of hop on and make their way. It's crazy. It's adorable. And they'll often team up. Ralph the snail teams up with Betty the snail, and they make their own bubble rafts, but then they connect their bubble rafts, and they raft together. Aww. Because, you know, it's stronger when you've joined rafts. and Sure. Yeah. They can often be found floating by the hundreds out in the open ocean. Um, and a really interesting thing about them is that they eat jellyfish. So there's these huh. little tiny sea snails and they're just making their way through a little jellyfish so so when they're you find them by the hundreds are they all connected oftentimes yes wow yeah no wonder they can take on a jellyfish yeah they mm. don't mess around now you might say how does a snail take on something like a jellyfish say well, katrina walls how does a snail mm -hmm. take on something like Oh, I don't know, a jellyfish. Well, let me tell you. So there's the cone snail. And the cone snail is the most venomous snail that there is. In fact, he's one of the most venomous creatures on the planet. Really? The cone snail is, uh, well, let's just say he's awesome. And he <laughs> has a concoction of toxins that he fires via our harpoon-like tooth that is propelled from his body at speeds of up to 400 miles per hour. Holy shit. So he's got this tooth, yeah, and he fills it with toxin, uh -huh. and he shoots it at you. Wow. Yes. Wow. And I'm sure that he doesn't have a, a great distance that he is capable of shooting it. I mean, how long is his little tooth thing? Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how fast that's coming at you? Eight inches away. Right. Yeah. Well, the toxins that he shoots out at you target the nervous system, so that paralyzes the victim and allows the snail to snail his way over to them uh. and then start consuming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The tooth, which is called a radulae, I believe, it grows all the time. So he can just keep refilling his tooth with poison over and over and over again. Haggis, I'm going to need you to settle down. We're talking about snails. Yeah, settle down, buddy. Historically, 65% of people stung by the geography cone snail die. Wow. Because um, we don't have any medicine that can neutralize the, the venom. So basically, some people do live, but you just kind of have to wait it out and kind of go like... Well, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, but snails. I need to make a couple phone calls. Um, yeah. Mm. The mango-colored golden elephant snail. He has a bunch of names, but the other one that you might recognize is the rabbit snail. And he has some distinguishing features. So if you see one, you might first be surprised by, one, how mango-colored they are. <laughs> okay. They're quite bright mm. and beautiful. They're also pretty large. They can measure up to five inches. And they have this kind of elephant-like trunk, mm -hmm. which, again, bright mango-colored. Okay. And hide-looking skin. So, again, very elephanty. But then they've got these little rabbit ears. Oh, my. And they're, well, they're, I mean, they're obviously not rabbit ears. But they, they look like, they're tall, long ears. And they're very popular as pets because they are so flippin' cute. And they get pretty large. So, you know, you can keep track of them. Plus, they're not toxic. 
think they are, no. I mean, maybe if you ate one, but then again, it wouldn't be your pet. No. Yeah. That would be weird. weird. Anyway, he's super cute, and I can't. I'm going to show you a picture of him. Are you ready? Yeah, I've actually seen a picture of this, but I would love to see it again. Oh, you have? Yeah, I've seen them before. Um, I don't remember where. Maybe it was like a National Geographic special or something. But uh, yeah, they're they're really cute. Oh, baby, look at the baby. It does look a little bit like an elephant. Cat will fall in love with any. I animal. love him. She says that no matter what. <laughs> There's a crow going through our garbage. I love him. I do. Look at him making his way. Um, anyway, so that's a little bit about snails. That's fascinating. They are varied and incredible in all their forms. I would love to see one of those big ones. Those big basketballs. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you said that. Are you going to show me a picture? No, I've ordered one. Oh, want to see one that bad? But okay, yeah. I guess I'll be living in the car. Well, there's Haggis. Has he settled down just in time for us to end our episode? Yes. Well done, Haggis. Oh, he's so cute. Honest to God. Haggis, you're cuter than a mollusk. Guys, don't forget that uh, our live stream event on Looped, the Box of Oddities Freak Show, takes place on the 17th of April. Get your tickets now. Theboxofoddities.com. Click on the live show link and uh, get your tickets there. We really hope that you can join us. Yeah, we don't want to fail. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of our motto at this point. Like, yep. just just don't ruin everything. <laughs> okay. And we would love to see you there. And we're looking at, I mean, assuming that people watch this, we're looking at maybe doing a series of these. And it should be a lot of fun. And, and uh, this one's going to be really weird. We named it the Freak Show on purpose because, well, Freak Show. You're not going to believe some of the crap you're going to see. <laughs> TheBoxOfOddities.com, the live show link. You can also find the link to buy tickets in the episode notes. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend, the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.